Right, so this is part two of the episode on gold mining. Um, if you haven't listened to part one, I'd recommend going back to listen to that because that that part of the episode explains what the issues are with the process and uh, why we're talking about gold mining in the first place. So this episode probably won't make a whole heap of sense unless you go back and listen to that as well. Um, so yeah, the usual crack. Sponsored by Glueshucked, but Glueshucked don't... I'm not a member of Glueshucked, basically. They just help me out by... Uh, providing hosting for the podcast so if I say anything that uh, pisses you off or that's just downright wrong please take it up with me if I do say something wrong I'd really like to know about it because you know I'm doing all this research I'm doing my best but you know I might get things wrong sometimes so please give me a shout turningearthradio at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook Um, I think that's everything here's part two Whenever I visit a site of resistance like this, I'm left, strangely enough, uh, with a kind of a feeling of relief, almost, that there's people all around the country that aren't just accepting the story that they're being told by the people who have the most power and the most money, but that they're actually taking the time to look into it themselves and to form their own opinions on it, and to do what they think is right, uh, to defend their place. And there's a lot to be learnt from this kind of struggle. Um, those of us who live in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world, we can we can look to communities like this. Because you never know when it's going to happen in your own community. And that's something that we talk about later on, is the importance of learning from other communities. And not just looking to the centres of power like Dublin or Westminster, but looking at each other, at what each other are doing. And learning from each other and providing help for each other when it's needed. So, considering this process of heat bleaching for gold seems fairly dangerous, it's very high-risk activity, um, I thought it was worth asking, who's this going to benefit? Who's facilitating it? And who's behind it in the first place? Gold strike. That's what he said. Oh, that's what I thought he said. He did for sure. Was was it a big strike? Did you ever hear the like? Was it a big strike? Well, I'm sure Steve here has half filled Fort Knox with the stuff this very day. Well, not as much as all that. No, a handful of nuggets or more. That's all I needed. You mean you still got them? Right here with me. Look at this. What do you think of that? Look at that. Hey. Oh, lovely. Real lovely to be sure. Oh, real shiny. Like gold. Of course it's gold. King Midas himself couldn't have done better. I'm excited about it, yeah, because it's great to look at a map and say, good God, look, there might be gold there. But the reality is it, it means more, to, it'll bring more jobs. It brings more, we know, know we now have greater knowledge of where our mineral wealth may be or where you can exploit to try and see, is there more opportunity there commercially? That was Fergus O'Dowd, uh, who was Minister for Natural Resources uh, south of the border, uh, practically pissing himself with joy at the thoughts of exploiting the gold mine uh, in Ireland and as your man from the BBC I think it was said at the start uh, the government are extremely sympathetic to anyone who wants to exploit these resources Um, 
an Irish delegation of ministers and representatives from the industry recently visited the PDAC conference, which is the Prospectors and Developers Association of Canada, under the banner Ireland Open for Business. Dalradian CEO Patrick Anderson stated that never before has he come across such enthusiastic engagement from a state. He also claimed that the local police officers have bought shares in the company. The website of Conroy Gold states, in slightly more subtle terms, Ireland has very user-friendly legislation, excellent infrastructure and pragmatic environmental controls. Conroy Gold is owned by former Fianna Fáil Senator Richard Conroy. We expected to find gold, but we didn't expect to find anywhere near as much as we have. So are you excited? We're very excited. It really is a really major discovery. We had a 30-mile gold trend. We had no idea it was going to be as big as this. We did hope it would be big, but we didn't expect it to be as big as it's turning out to be. Conroy and Connemara, who we looked at in one of our first episodes, are just two of the companies who are going for gold all over Ireland. They have active licences in Monaghan, Wicklow, Wexford, Connemara, Donegal and Limerick. So, although their operations cover a very large land area, there's a relatively small number of people involved and a relatively small number of people who stand to benefit, usually drawn from this triad of state, corporate bodies and academic institutions. As I mentioned earlier, there's a great crossover between all three. As an example, Gareth Earls, who has worked for both Dalradian and Conroy Gold, used to work for the Geological Survey of Northern Ireland. Now, I'm probably showing my innocence here, but just like I used to think culture was there to look after our forests, when in fact they are there to extract from them and to exploit them for profit. The Geological Survey in the South and similar in the North, according to the, the South's uh, director, a core strategy is to support investment and development of this industry by producing high-quality geological information. So they aren't learning about the landscape to better learn how to look after it and how it can sustain us. But they're learning about it so they can better learn how to exploit it. Prospecting licenses, both north and south, are very easy and cheap for companies to obtain. And once they have them, they have exclusive rights to seek a mining license pending planning permission. Dalradian have a 999-year lease on the land in Greencastle. What does a company need to do to get such open access to the land? How do they need to prove themselves? Well, I can only speak from my understanding of uh, the north of Ireland, and at the moment it's something like £450 to apply for a licence, and that can, carry, carry, like, that can cover a massive area, thousands and thousands of acres. They have to show to be commer- or financially investing in exploration, so they have to show that they're paying consultants, paying, it can be a paper exercise, or they could go out and do soil sampling and that. But it seems to be a given that if you apply for it, you're going to get it. Mm. No one seems to be refused. It's like when they apply for their drilling rights, or their exploratory drilling. It's taken for granted they will get that through local council. Mm. You know, and... The part of it is too is there is in Northern Ireland there is no there is no tax or levy on gold or silver barren ore. Four percent goes to the Crown Estates and the rest of it goes out of the country. And as for the Republic, we've seen what they've done with the Corrib. You know, they handed it away. Didn't benefit the pe- benefit the people of Ireland, did it? It didn't benefit the health system. It's not helping the homeless crisis that's happening. 
As I say, there's a thing called the PDAC. It's a large uh, conference that's held every year in Toronto. Uh, especially a mining and exploration convention for everybody to show their wares. And I can't remember his name exactly, but there was a TD from Ireland there at one of the stands with the heading, Ireland's open for business. Our TDs are over there actively inviting this toxic industry into our country. For what benefit? Because I can assure you from what we have seen, it's not benefiting the people. I wonder then, who exactly is it? Who are Dalradian? And what's their track record like? There's a guy, the COO of the company, he's, a, he's just basically the guy that's going to be charged with running, the general manager basically of the company if they do get planning. And uh, this guy comes from a mine in uh, Canada, or it could be Alaska, uh, it just isn't on the top of my head at the moment, on the tip of my tongue, but when he worked there, it was the company that held the record for the most environmental infractions. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. yeah. Oh, what's his name, the CEO? He is Eric Trimbley. And this is the guy. Now, I actually met Eric, and uh, when I first met him, I thought a really nice, plausible guy. But then the more he started explaining the mining process to us, I have a background in engineering in that. And I realised, you know, you obviously think the locals here are a bunch of morons, the way he was describing it to us. He was really playing it down, playing down the risks, playing down... You know, playing up the benefits, oh, money, 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 you're all going to be rich, and no risk, zero risk, yeah. Can you, can you go into a bit of detail about that? Like, what was he saying about the process, or how was he shaping it? Well, it was a case that he was talking about, uh, he described to us about this, the water. I asked him about the water, and, you know, what what's going to stop this water getting polluted from the different processes that's taken place for the fact that the natural mineralisation of the water is going to take place as it moves through the rock and everything else, and... He described what he called this great magic black powder that removed all the toxins and that out of the water. And I let him speak on for a long time before I eventually corrected him and says, listen, I do realise what you're talking about, it's called activated carbon. And I explained to him all this and he actually looked shocked that we knew what he was talking about. And I did inform him and says, listen, if you're going to keep describing this as activated, or sorry, as you're going to keep describing this as a magic black powder, people are just going to think you're a complete knob, you know? <laughs> I was that angry that the way he was speaking to the locals, you know, he was really treating us as if we were imbeciles. The way they spoke to us, the information they had up, they had all these lovely little infographics and all the rest of it, but nothing of detail or substance. You know, and that's what angered the people the most, I think, and a lot of it was a lot of the detail was hidden. They, they took our questions. They wrote down our questions, but then it was a, a guy from the Oma area who would have been a member of the Green Party pointed out to us that uh, they were taking all our questions down in pencil, which is supposedly a well-known uh, tactic in consultations and that. So any questions that they were writing down that they didn't feel favourable to be noted can be rubbed out at a later date. Yeah. So it was things like that. Now, we were new to this. We were never aware of gold mine campaigning or anything else. We're just nine to fives, people here with their families, just looking to get our days in and have as much comfort in life as possible. But, you know, we have no ideas of grandeur or anything else. We don't want, you know, I think this is it. They thought if they flash enough uh, money in your face, anybody's, you know, has a price. But that's not the case. You know, you can't put a price on the, on the health of your children, the future of your children, your grandchildren. And that's the way I look at it. And the more research we've done into mining, we've realised this isn't a short risk. These things goes on for generations. The pollution's there for generations. Once these guys are long gone, 
the toxic legacy of them is there for a long, long time. The mine that Sean is referring to there is the Malarctic Mine in Quebec, in Canada. Eric Tremblay was general manager of that mine from 2011 to 2015. In 2016, residents who lived near the mine filed a class action lawsuit in order to be compensated for damages related to dust, noise and explosions that they've been exposed to for many years. Early the following year, 2017, the state of Quebec allowed the gold mine to expand, extending its life until 2028. This was done despite the fact that the Environmental Regulation Agency reported that the environmental laws in place were inadequate to properly regulate such a mine and that the company haven't demonstrated that they can safely run the mine in this area. They frequently exceed the standards for noise, dust and vibrations. One of the companies involved in the mine, Agnico Eagle, which Tremblay worked for, have been fined for spills of ammonia and cyanide and have been in court for concealing safety issues at their mines. As we've explored in previous episodes, Extractive industries have the potential to spend a lot of money in shaping the stories that we hear in order to achieve their goals. I'd like to look at that a little bit now. What tactics do the company use to get their agenda across and what stories do they tell us? A major thing that comes up again and again is jobs. That's the word that's often used to shut down any environmental argument. The thing is with this particular issue, the company have made at different times widely different claims as to how many jobs there's actually going to be created in the area. It's ranged from 100, 350, 600, it's been very inconsistent. Well the very first consultation they had there was a hell of a lot less jobs than what they're actually claiming is now. Um, that day that we were up they were talking that there was possibly 350 jobs in total. Now they're saying there's um, 900, 600 and all the rest. But even the 350 jobs that they said was there at that time, we couldn't see it. You know, they couldn't explain how that, that was there, so they kept sticking with this 350. But you did corn, turn around and take into consideration. One of the ladies, she's not actually with the company no more. And somebody says about jobs for locals. And she says, you need to get this thing out of your head that Greencastle and Gorton and the surrounding areas is the locals. She says, the whole of Ireland and the UK is local. It's only when you go into Central Europe or you enter Europe, that's not local. You know, so even back then, they were lying. But they were prepared to tell, yes. So when they say there's jobs for locals, they mean specialists from yes. all over the place? Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, the thing that I can't understand is, you know, if the jobs is going to be so local, why they've a, they've a uh, what do you call a company in from Galway at the minute doing the drones for them and there was another company uh, there was a Canadian company doing the drilling as well now we've been told that since the Canadian company has left the wages has gone down because there's a local company doing it we're also told that one of the things that the local or the sorry the the Galway company's name has to do is try and get a house in this community. So that every time Deridian starts to spill whatever they're doing, and there's so many people living immediately within a distance of it, and these is living in Tyrone. No, they're staying in Tyrone. You know, 
and they're only staying where they're staying because they're made to stay there. That's part of the contract. You know, this thing about jobs, nobody's against jobs. You know, nobody's against, you know, young people getting the chance and opportunity to move things forward. But gold mining is not one of these things that moves things forward. Gold mining, by its very definition, you know, <laughs> once it's gone, it's gone. As I spoke about earlier in this episode, the role of the press in this often seems to favour the company. Claims of balance are difficult to swallow if you spend a bit of time examining their output. For example, one of the main sources of news on the project is the Ulster Herald. And if you search for the name Dalradian on their website, you'll find a huge amount of sponsored content from Dalradian. You can see this in the newspaper as well, where the coverage, as far as I can see, has been mostly favourable to the project. The company, Dalradian, has also been sponsoring local sports events, materials for certain local schools and, of course, the turning on of the Christmas lights. This is a tactic commonly used by companies as a distraction from their, shall we say, more worrisome activities. We find that a lot of the reporters and that, they're they're good, they try and cover both sides of it as much as possible, but then we realise when it comes to press, it seems to be very slinted or toned down our side of it. You know, they call themselves local press and there, yeah, we're doing a balanced uh, coverage of this topic. But yet, how can you be balanced when you're running full-page glossy, uh, glossy ads, you know, touting the wares of Deridium and how brilliant they are, week in, week out? And that's been going on now for months upon months upon months. And then they'll try and tell us that, oh, no, no, we're very balanced and neutral. We're a local paper. But yet the voices of the locals aren't making it to the papers. The big glossy ads is making it every week. Their stories, and any time they want to hype up one of their events or spin, it seems to always make it, you know, quite prominently. If we ever get to put a paper in, Deridium has to get their say to counter it. But yet when Deridium puts in their stuff, I don't see them coming running to the locals asking them for their counter to that. We've had other media outlets come to us and do television interviews and that. And we had one in particular, and just before they were broadcast, Iridium contacted them and threatened them with an injunction if they didn't come back and give them their fair share. You know, so it turned out, and it wasn't bad, but you could see that Iridium had been given more airtime. They employ a firm up in Belfast, MCE, you know, and they're, they are a PR firm and a political lobbying firm. You know, and the shameful thing of it is, this firm also represents other household names. And I wonder if their other clients know that these guys are pushing and pushing the, 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 the agenda and the mandate of a toxic firm, the likes of Deridium, and gold mining. But at the same time, trying to basically be the public arm of other wholesome brands and companies and that. You know, it just shows you some of these companies really have no moral compass. Stop for a minute and examine 
why do we need to do this? Why do we go to so much trouble for gold for to extract this resource? It must be vital to us, surely. I tried to find out what gold is used for and I came across a few different statistics. I read in one place that of all the gold used globally, 38% is used in jewellery, 34% in electronics, 22% in coins and less than 6% is used in medicine. I read elsewhere though that over 80% is used in jewellery and decoration. Either way though it's clear that we need very little gold for essential purposes. We can find other substances to decorate ourselves and our buildings with and to offer to each other as tokens of love. We seem fascinated with it as a culture. We love shiny things. Gold is the first metal mentioned in the Bible. There are objects made of it that are more than 5,000 years old found in the tombs of Egypt. And the oldest mine, which is still in use, is in Saudi Arabia. It's over 3,000 years old. Culturally, we've associated it with the afterlife and the other world, using it in burials and in funeral rites, in offerings to the gods and to the dead. Recent studies have offered up an explanation as to why we are so drawn to this shiny, glossy object. And it's to do with water. The studies found that thirsty people were far more likely to favour a glossy image over the same image printed on plain matte paper. They concluded that our primitive brains associated glossy, shiny textures with water. So our fascination with all things shiny and golden comes from our deep fundamental need for water. And this got me thinking about resources. Water, something we can't live without, is in real danger of running out. We've already discussed how much gold mining puts water supplies at risk and how, how much of it is wasted in the process. Similar to other extractive industries like fracking. It's tragically ironic that in chasing a substance which we value because it reminds us of water, they at the same time waste and critically endanger the water itself, the source of all life. It's a very small, select few people that are benefiting from it. As I said before, our politicians, they talk about climate crisis, they talk about doing what's good for the environment and everything else, but yet they're standing with their arms open to mining, fracking and everything else. And is the risk, is the cost worth what the risk? And it's absolutely not. What are we getting in return here? There's very little going into the local treasury to put into health services, infrastructure, education and everything else. And even at that, long term, what's it going to do to the health service? You know, we don't know if this starts leaching heavy metals and whatever byproducts into the water systems and that does start to slowly bioaccumulate into the people. This mine that they have proposed here sits between two rivers, the own Kilyu and the own Ray. Both those rivers eventually run to the Struel system, which runs to the foil system. But within the Struel system, there's an extraction pumping station pumps that out to a water treatment plant in Castle Derg. And that water treatment plant services 15,000 domestic properties mm. and just under 2,000 commercial properties. So that's tens of thousands of people mm. who's going to be affected by anything that happens up here. And our politicians are silent on that. They give the odd little sound bite, but that's as far as it goes. And again, it comes down to no political leadership. They just seem to be sitting back short, dirty game. That's what they want. There's no idea or thought process put into long-term sustainable development. And that's what it's all about. That's what we need. Is it? Reiterating again. 
No tax or levy in gold or silver and ore. 4% of the current estates. Yeah, you'll have a handful of jobs. They talk about an average salary of £40,000 a year. Average to what? Patrick Anderson in the last number of years has took a salary of 400000 He's one of the board members. I think on top of my head, five or six of them. They all take between 200000 and 400000 Average that out. The guys in the ground ain't going to get too much. You know, they're great at the PR, they're great at the spin. But when they're pushed with the hard questions, they never seem to actually be able to come up with the details. And this is what we find frightening. That our politicians and our departments are willing to entertain that. Uh, to be honest with you, this is what we can't understand. Um, even the local politicians, the people who are supposed to represent this community, are silent. If you ask them the question, the sad thing it is, instead of giving us leadership, they give us this dumb look with a stand with their mouth open, and they, you know, they don't even know what they're agreeing to. I definitely got the impression from speaking to the folks up there that they. Um with good reason, they no longer have any faith in the political system that's supposed to represent them. And I asked them, how does the state treat them versus how does the state treat the company? You know, we can't get houses in this area because it's near every stand in natural beauty. But these guys can put up something that you probably wouldn't see in some of the bigger cities. So you mean you can't get planning permission for a house around here because it's... A neo-MB, yeah. yeah. But these guys can do whatever they want. It's the same with the... The council grants them permitted development rights where they can actually bore and drill to search for this stuff. Permitted development is what allowed the oil and gas exploration company Tamboran to carry out test drilling on a frack pad in Belcou, County Fermanagh. Yes, yeah. yes. But there was somebody telling me, there was actually one of the Belcou or one of the frack free guys was saying that they found out that the reason why Tamboran was stopped was because it didn't actually have planning mm. on the two quarries. But it was funny that just before Storm and Fail, two years ago, the that time minister actually gave retrospective planning for the two of them the day before Storm and Fail. So, so the minister in charge of the Department of Planning yeah, gave, yeah. gave permission so that next time they won't have that problem, basically? They don't have that problem, no. And the funny thing is, there was recently council elections here, and there was all these applications done for more um, how would you say zones or more areas for license um, that was never mentioned but a week after the the council elections was over all of a sudden this was released that all these had been granted yeah, yeah. and they didn't even tell the people in Fermanagh or Tyrone council area that they had the application sitting there from 2016 this was in the initial time that they had received an application to get going again and you're thinking to yourself, you know, these people are sitting, representing us, sitting in council, making decisions that's going to change the lives for ourselves and the future generations. They don't have a notion. Yeah. Uh, you know, if they put red lipstick on them and powder on their face, they could be, you know, punching duty. Because if we've gone for a couple of council meetings now, and I think what everybody should be asking for is to get every single council meeting videoed that anybody can look on and live stream it because if you sat and watched the way these people behave people are supposed to be representing you yeah. it's an absolute joke an absolute joke and they're talking about the will of the people the guys in there doesn't even know where's tea or coffee they're drinking possibly half the time 
that's not being disrespectful to them. But if you do go to a council meeting, there's a lot of good councillors, but the tendency is in the parties that direction, well, it either comes from Belfast or it comes from Dublin with the two big parties. And the people that sit in them council meetings have been told what way to vote, have been told what they have to say. Just follow the party line. Follow the party line. Aye, we do. Independent councillors seems to be working for their money. Um, parties seems to be run from the top. And they don't care. Like, we've went and sat in council meetings this past couple of years, and we're really starting to see how corrupt this whole place is. It's not just even to do with mining or nothing. The politician, the parties have, they're just feathering their own nests all the time. They really are, like, and I would say for anybody in any council, what has nothing to do with any council, just go and sit in, in a council meeting. There's a public gallery in every council. Do you see how corrupt your council's running? As far as I'm concerned, I've sat in a few of them. They have laughed about us, and it's absolutely devastating to think of people what you voted for, walked for, done whatever you could for, exactly fell in their own nest rather than looking after our children's future. So while it was obvious that party politics can't be relied upon, something that came up a lot was that we can look to other communities that have gone through this or that are currently going through something similar and we can work together. I spoke to Terence Conway about this. I've been up in Greencastle and Tyrone in the Sperrins where they're fighting a gold mine there. Like the like the oil companies, uh, the Canadian Canadian mining companies, there is every bit as rotten as the as the oil companies. Uh, disregard for the people and the environment. I asked him if he saw any parallels between what was happening in the Sperrins and what happened in Eris. Oh yeah, it's the same pattern. Uh, cozy up to what they've done there in Tyrone, the same as here, they cozied up to what they figured were the important people in the area. Uh, and they're continuing on that path. And as the resistance uh, in Tyrone and elsewhere started to build against the gold mining, uh, they started passing out uh, gifts, I call them bribes. Uh, they pass out money to different groups and uh, in order to try and buy uh, buy support for the project. Uh, the problem is, once you start taking money from them, you're a bit compromised. And uh, it's up to the individual then or the organization if they're going to compromise themselves further. In, la in some cases, uh, the individual or the organisation they continue on that path regardless of the evidence that shows up which shows you some people are easily bought but some people aren't yeah. fortunately I suppose once you start telling the lie you can't go back on it then you're sort of landed with it you're stuck with that as your story well, on occasion you'll see people who realise that they made a mistake they'll admit it and then they'll go and do what, what, what they can to rectify things. But uh, 
that's the way they operate and Dalridian the company in the Sperrins uh, they've been doing they've started doing much the same as what Shell done in Balnaboy with their site they're running tours getting people in to uh, uh, as they call it a tour of the mine uh, there's some some bit of a shaft there from years ago and they take them in and uh, explain to them how good it is but uh, of course they don't tell them the downside of uh, gold mining and what the reality will be for years and years to come the price that the community will pay again and again I'm reminded of the importance of learning from and reinforcing each other it does fracking's only over in Fermanagh like and we just caught the tail end because we started getting involved in this here like you know we didn't we didn't get involved enough uh, we didn't know about it it's the same as probably what's going on now with the gold mining it wasn't in my area and I didn't care about it like you know and it's sad to say but that's it like now um, as far as I see we'll folly it to the, to the water from now we're not uh, we're not going to let them start anywhere here as far as I'm concerned we're going to follow them to the water they have to go if gold is such a, a vital and important resource to be the source of so much strife um, I wonder are there other ways we can get it other than ripping it up out of the ground in such a destructive fashion and there are there are alternatives Increasingly, uh, all over the world, gold is being recycled from used electronics. Unfortunately, because of the culture we have of wastefulness, where a phone or a laptop only lasts a couple of years before it's thrown away, lots of gold winds up in the landfill. And there's a firm in New Zealand there that recently has started to upscale their uh, commercial, uh, their, their, their enterprise of stripping gold from uh, scrap electronics. And they estimate from a ton of scrap electronics they can get from two to three hundred grams of gold. These guys here, for every ton of rock that they propose to remove, they propose to get eight grams. Yeah. Big difference. When you see if these, this firm in New Zealand is starting to commercialise this process and it doesn't rely on the toxic chemicals not that it previously would have relied upon, why aren't our governments putting funding into this? Why aren't they, you know, investing in this sort of sustainable? It just seems to be the politicians can't see beyond the next election cycle. They want short-term gain so they can boast about it pre-election. You know, and this, is, this mindset has to stop within the, the, the political realm. We need people now with a new mindset that can think long-term, that can carry our country forward, that they're happy enough to put investments that they mightn't see a return in for years. But at the moment, as we're seeing it all over, you know, Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, at the moment, mining companies seem to be given a, 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 a no-bars policy. Come on in, we're open for business. The farm that Sean was talking about there um, are using microbes to extract gold from circuit boards. They shred the circuit boards up into a powder and then the microbes eat the metal. And then they, it's, there's a lot of solidifying. They're separated into a liquid. And using that process, 15 kilos of uh, circuit boards produces three grams of gold when you compare that to the mining process where 5,000 kilos of ore are needed to produce just one gram of gold 
So instead of 5,000 kilos, you could be using 5 kilos of thrown away phones. 4 tons of gold are used to make phones in China each year. And in Germany each year, 3.5 tons are recovered from phones. Whereas in Britain, only 2% of mobile phones are recycled. But this is still just recycling. We're basically just cleaning up the mess. When really the, the fundamental issue here, just like it is across the board, is overconsumption, overproduction. And that the, the highly irrational system that, that sort of pushes this consumption and production is being facilitated by a class of politicians who can't see beyond their own interests. Like to think that, you know, schools, people's actually getting, you know, uh, say, paper or toilet paper or whatever and giving it to schools because of the hardships they're under. And these guys are sitting in Belfast on £150 a day. And then if they go to Belfast or they travel, they're, charged, they're probably trying to get another five, five and a half thousand of travelling. You know, and then they say, we represent your community, it's them and us, don't let them in because, you know, you can't do that. And you're thinking to yourself, you're all the same. The them and us now is the politicians and the people on the ground. That's the them and us. It's not the them and us of 15 or 20 years ago in relation to two different communities. And until these guys actually wakes up and realises that, um, you know, I can honestly say that the standard of life for most people was better 15 or 20 years ago than what it is now. They definitely did not have the hardships that what communities have now. And this is supposed to be moving forward. You know, it's, it's unbelievable the way that they can spin everything to suit themselves. And the biggest spin of the lot is keeping themselves in work. Now, you have to remember, these are the guys are signing off. They're telling you, oh, we're against the gold mine up in Tyrone and all the rest. I know there at the recent council election, there's somebody contacted us and says that um, one of the parties was going around in public, they were saying, we're against this, we're against this. But at the doors, they were saying, ah, oh, you know, it's an old rural community and they'll be lucky to get the jobs. And then again, what a lot of people doesn't take into consideration is, this is an area that was affected by the troubles. You know, this this area here, when it was going right, um, most of the British forces was flowing in by helicopter or whatever else, that they did not come in on cars, you know. The helicopters was back. You know, they've actually said that because they're blasting twice a day here, that they actually have to possibly have a military or police on site all the time. So they're actually going to militarise this area again. You know, and for our local politicians to be accepting of that. So it's OK for everybody else outside of here to normalise after the troubles. But because this community's been picked, everything comes back. Everything... You have the police on the road, you have everything else. That's what people doesn't hear. They hear about the jobs. There was a guy come here about a week ago, two weeks ago, and he says to me, I want to hear both sides of this story. He says, I want to hear one, I want to hear both, and I'm going to ask the questions, the awkward questions. And I says, aye, that's no bother, 100%. And he says, I have a daughter. He says, she's 13, he says, and I think that she should be able to come here and work and earn a good wage, go to college, take our degree and everything else and come and work here. I says, you're totally right. 
I says, no issue with that at all. But I says, one thing I would like to ask you to do is see your daughter. I says, I don't know your position. I says, I don't know if you own your house or it's a council house or whatever else. I says, I would really love you and your family to contact some of the people locally here. Just getting up in the middle of the night and sitting worrying about the future of their children and their homes and everything else and offer to swap houses with them. Because I think if your daughter wants to work here, I think she should suffer the same way as this community has been suffering the last four years. The mental anguish and everything else that's affecting people. You see the change in people. Like people's, you know, there was a guy one day said to us that, and you would think he's, you know, strong, strong fella. He turned around and he's a few young kids and he says, uh, you know, he says, I'd be better doing he says, 15 years inside, he says, is my children having to suffer this for 25. So, where is the integrity of the people that's making these decisions when they're thinking about the future of this community? It's fucking infuriating seeing the same, the same bullshit playing out again and again where a rural area kind of off the radar of the capital, be it Belfast or Dublin, is militarized and turned into a miniature police state to facilitate the private interests of an elite few very much against the interests of the majority. It happened in Eris, uh, it's happening now in Greencastle. At Wakened Our Eyes three and four years ago, we lived and just got on with life and expected the people that was supposed to be representing you to work in your favour. Since that I've realised that these guys work for nobody other than whoever's paying them the most. Um, the council is the same. Um, the council... <sighs> it's a strange one. Take Tyrone for instance. Right? Tyrone's the biggest county in Ulster. Uh, there's not a single child born in Tyrone anymore because there's no maternity services in Tyrone. They were all stripped out a number of years ago. You don't have Tyrone in any of the council areas. You have three different council areas. You have Derry and Straban, you have Mid-Ulster, and you have Fermanagh and Oma. So Tyrone has also more or less been stripped of its identity. And this is something that's been going on for the last 15, 20 years. I think there's one place you can see, and they'll probably, if they hear this recording, they'll probably take it down, there's one place we actually see a welcome to Tyrone sign, and that's in Irvinstown. Mm. There's not another we've checked. We, you know, welcome to Fermanagh and Oma Council area, welcome to Mid Ulster Council area. Mm. You know, so as somebody once said to us, if you take the identity from a people, you try to take the fight from them. Mm. But these guys didn't realise that Tyrone's been one of the biggest fighting counties all down the generations, and we're not just going to lay down and roll over for these boys to facilitate a Canadian company. Mm.